0: Welcome to Fumelet Podcast, episode 24, a.k.a. Mr. Alistair, Touched Off the Tragedy, a.k.a. God Bless Saturday. It is a fall totting up all 525 songs in affirmation, rudimentary championship, uninterrupted mutilation into four tenures, 77, 85, 86, 93, 94, 2001, 2002 to 2017. Up tonight, Neighbourhood of Infinity versus Spoiled Victorian Child big new priest up against Rod young Nev's antidotes against kick the can and white lion fever up against recovery kit one and two but as always joined by Monsieur Pippington B hard the Ace of Wands, fighting his way into a trance evening Phil
1: hello monsieur O'Leary I'm I'm diddling good how are you
0: all so good 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 good
1: I've uh, I've got some got some shocking news though oh good Lord please drop it on us. I was uh, I was I was having the old banter with Tim Three last night by mm. the uh, by the Ouija board, Rest in and peace. Uh, he, he got very upset with me when I pointed out that he was in the sixth circle of hell, which is obviously reserved for those people who speak things that are
0: something very weird happened to you then, Phil. Obviously the uh, the vibes were not liked. did you say he's in the place with the heretics? Good lord.
1: He is indeed. Oh my goodness! Just been left with a note that says "gone fishing."
0: Oh, the worst of the worst of times. And Lord Sage Temple there happily gargling tar. How are you tonight, smooth man?
2: Pretty good. Not only am I gargling tar tonight, I'm also gargling pasta. Oh. pasta and tar.
0: What a delicious, delicious combination. And Pemberton Walker, glass pants. Mm. Hello. <laughs> well, and uh, I am Treebeards, the host, Steam fresh, lightly sauced broccoli with cheese sauce, 31 grams of total carbs. So up tonight, the old pastor eater himself over there is going to drop in a Futures and Past about that most fundamentally pivotal, influential of all bands, the Stooges, and Iggy Pop, the racist singer. What have you got to say, Ezra?
2: Oh, where to begin? For me, at least, I can't really think of the Stooges without the MC5. The MC5 were a garage rock band that came up before the Stooges. And the reason why they're connected in my brain is, first of all, the Stooges kind of apprenticed under MC5, like MC5 helped them out, find um, practice spaces, and ultimately even got them signed to Elektra Records. MC5 were a slightly different thing insofar as they were radically political, almost revolutionary. The thing that connects both of those bands for me musically is they both pull the kind of rock moves. that If I went to a gig tomorrow and saw a guitarist doing, or a band performing, I would probably just spit on the floor and disgust and walk home. But somehow for me, both these bands completely transcend that. Part of it, I think, is that they were performing a new kind of form of music. It wasn't without precedence, but they certainly, a lot of the stuff they were doing was new and fresh. It hadn't calcified into this kind of tiresome canonical rock noodling, which is what you hear a lot of um, from bands who might claim to be inspired by them. Which brings us to The Fall, and you know, it's a wonderful thing that The Fall claim a great deal of inspiration from the Stooges, but sound nothing much like them you know there's a lot of parallels one of the big ones is the way that the band would and i'm talking about the stooges and the fall here um before iggy dragged his drugged and mutilated carcass onto the stage the band would basically just hold down a few bars of whatever the first song was until they came on which was something that uh, marky smith copied chapter and verse maybe one of the great things with all three of these bands you can feel like it's not like the wheels are about to fall off or in danger of falling off. It's like the sound of the wheels falling <laughs> off. There's this great kind of yawning chasm of chaos that opens up with all of them. The, in relation to the fall, it's interesting that with the earlier in their career, You get it maybe more through the music than Marky Smith, who's got a kind of a, well, at least he's managed to memorize and write down these extremely long lyrics, you know, like almost like epic poems. And the band, while they're not amateurs, are kind of self-taught, so there's this kind of nice non-musicality to it. Whereas later on, the band suddenly become almost professional in the final era. The chaos comes out of Mark's mouth. Maybe we should stop there and have a clip.
0: The first one that you've chosen is Iggy and the Stooges live in Cincinnati. So when he plays a blast of TVI... with out
3: of
4: TVI!
3: It's blood. She got a TV I'll be She got a TV I Is she got a TV I... on
0: We'll come back to that clip a bit later when the guy who's commentating t- is trying to find Iggy in the crowd as he's gone missing but for a long period of time <laughs> underneath underneath the crowd and uh, for a live show they're scrambling around trying to trying to get a camera on him. Now what show do you, what do you make of the Stooges and their
5: connection to the fall? Clearly they got a bit of that. Like, I think it's the hard edge to it that um that's quite similar. But the stages are like really influential to like loads of bands that sing completely different. Uh that version of TVI just then, there was like the drone in it, really kind of reminded me of like some of the, you know, like really distorted Spaceman 3 stuff. Uh, you know, like the way they go for the the nasty hard sound with, with um, Revolution, uh, amazing band. Um Again, soundtrack for walking for many years since a teenager. Love it. Just the way that it's stripped down, dead basic. You know, it's it's like a template for punk. Absolutely, Iggy's just a
0: force of nature. He's a racist and a bit racist at times. Phil, why don't you give us a blast of the second half of that clip? There's a there's a good part where where they're looking for Iggy, and the band's just riffing on 1970.
3: Over the crowd. I don't know just where, but we'll find him. Is
2: that the one where he appears at some point to be smearing himself with peanut butter? I'm pretty sure it's the same gig. Might be. That clip just there, it just shows how completely without precedent this form of performance was. It was just completely demented at the time and really still is. I mean, if you see the footage of Iggy prowling around the stage. I've seen a lot of bands and I've seen some very good performances, but I've never seen anything quite that feral and demented. One of the other things which kind of came to my mind is this concept of tradition and plagiarism. I think it's fair to say that both the Stooges and the MC5 have been copied a great deal, and they themselves were in some ways kind of copying. But I think the the kind of difference is that they kind of came up in an established tradition. Like if you look at like Iggy's backstory, a lot of it was playing drums and sitting in for um, R&B acts who were playing around in and around Detroit. And so, you know, I know that there's been some um, talk of his racism recently, but it, it's interesting that if you ask him his uh, influences, it's almost entirely African-American music. And, you know, I I don't think that it's necessarily cultural appropriation that's going on here either. I think that those bands saw themselves as part of a tradition of music. And so we get back to the fall, and, you know, one of Marky Smith's favorite rants is plagiarism, and how bands kind of copy him or copy something else, and therefore they're really crap. And, you know, I think that there's, like, some kind of maybe a line, between musicians and bands that are kind of approaching music from the perspective of a tradition and bands that are uh, just, you know, approaching it because, oh, this is the now sound and we can get some fucking cash through this. And I kind of think that Fall, the Fall themselves, saw themselves as kind of following in this tradition in some ways, you know, like a lot of the way that they kind of take other parts of songs and stuff is in a much more kind of an inventive context than, uh, let's say, the Rolling Stones, who just made the blues sound, sound shit.
0: Phil, so I'll come to you in a minute, but Ezra lined up a... Interview with Iggy as has the la- last clip that he wants us to look at It's called Iggy pop's most
3: decrepit interview Just as some people were very terrified of rock and roll when it started and then they got terrified of the Beatles There are some people who get scared by okay. any new trend in music Fair say, enough, I'll tell you one terror. terror. Good Art. question okay. in this music One terror is that if you play music like the way I do, okay, obviously already if I put as much into a song as I possibly can on mm-hmm. your show mm-hmm. automatically for five, ten minutes it's very hard for me to to speak articulately or to to talk to you you see because okay. You're pumped because I because sure. I've because I've uh, quite quite given myself totally to to that it's it's Dionysic if you know the difference between Dionysic and Apollonian art I'm not too good on that uh <laughs> Dionysic art in, in Greek times was where like a bunch of people would get together and they'd uh, they'd they'd erect a, a paper phallus 50 feet long and carry it around and chant to some god that they believed in, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and sort of, uh, how should I say, the creation of an event. It's eventful art. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apollonian is when you just make a statue and it's there forever and it's set out very clearly. Okay. There's a Dionysic element to my art that, that does... I suppose a lot of people might be frightened to be me, but I'm quite happy to be, you know? <laughs> All right. In the world of music, who are your favorites? Who are people you've looked up to as you've grown up and grown into the music business? Um, a lot of otherworldly types, like uh, Sun Ra is one, uh, a guy called Cab Calloway. Mm-hmm. probably knows...
0: So Phil Rigby, Di- Dionysian art, Maki Smith, Iggy Pop, The Stooges.
1: It was a good clip, wasn't it? It's. Um, I wasn't expecting him to come up with such a Nietzschean answer to, <laughs> to that question. To be honest with you, because that's ripped straight from um, the birth of tragedy, isn't it? That split between Dionysian and Apollonian, and I, I think he's exactly right. And I think it taps into what we've been saying a lot around Marquis Smith and the way that he is the band and he gets the energy up. And a lot of it, for the performance point of view, is that kind of shamanic ritualizing of the space and trying to kind of pump up the atmosphere so that it's it's not just about what the band are playing or what the song is or that it's about the event and the spectacle and the actual thing that's happening in the room and creating an enclosed atmosphere where there's people inside the room and everything else is outside it and all that kind of stuff and i think that dynamism is is something you see really, really clearly with something like depop and the and Sturges. And I think that clip of MC5 that I was shot around earlier this week is is absolutely kind of the quintessence of that stuff as well. Not a huge fan of their output, but fuck me, that performance is amazing. <laughs> that video is absolutely spectacular and the amount of energy they're pumping out. And it's... I, I sidestep the whole cultural appropriation argument by just saying that all culture is appropriated. I, I think it's everything is lifted from something else. So, so sidestep I, or
0: wade straight into the middle of it.
1: <laughs> as, it's just a different tag. I think there's very much a tradition, I think, was the word that Ezra used. And I do see there being a tradition between MC5 Stooges murky smith i would say joy division are probably in there as well in terms of that whole shamanic approach to music
0: yeah well we went a bit longer but you know fucking stooges go as long yeah. as we want It could have been a, it could have been a two-hour special no problem what a fucking great band good choice thanks ezra for bringing them to the table and no Let's move on to the main event. So we've got Neighbourhood of Infinity off Perverted By Language 983 up against Spoiled Victorian Child, a biggie off this nation's saving grace in 1985. So if you give us a blast of Neighbourhood of Infinity, if you don't mind, Philip. As you got a name check in that song, I have to come to you first. What's your take on Neighbourhood of Infinity?
5: Well, it's one of my favourite Fall songs, I think. Um, I could be a troubling, troubling the top five for me. It's just amazing. Bass riff comes in, just menacing and gnarly, horrible guitar over the top of it. It's dead minimal. Uh, The two drummers complementing each other quite nicely, like with a few like Tom hits. The guitar murdering that goes on in it is just awesome. Uh, There's no mercy. It's just noise, noise, noise. Love it. Love it. Blended, Philip. Yeah, I'm with Al.
1: It's, this is one of my favourite fall tunes. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I was, uh, It was funny, actually. We had a chat yesterday morning, didn't we? And uh, you had me doubting myself. You had me doubting myself, Brendan. I had to go back and re-listen. Have I, have I kind of made a misstep here? But no, I, I think this is... They, they don't put a foot wrong on this record. I think every voice that's added is perfect. I think the production's amazing on it. I think the whistles of feedback just beautifully complement everything that's going on. I love the structure of it. I like the fact that it feels like something is being added pretty much all the way through the song. It, it feels like an intro, the whole song. And when they get into the stride, it's it's absolutely beautiful. I think the, I've written down here, it touches my F spot in terms of this is everything that I want for a record. And the, the, the lyric that jumped out to me was the love of Paris infects the civil service so it's just such a great throwaway line but uh, still probably very true to this day
0: Oh, they are romantics over there, aren't they? Ezra, (laughs) what does this one do for you?
2: Yeah, it's a fucking great track I really like the way that it's kind of led by the drums like uh, I think I said last week yeah, you know, I can't really hear the double drummers on a lot of the fall albums I know they're on but you you can definitely hear it here And um, it's interesting what Phil was saying, because uh, listening to this, it kind of came to me, well, you know, if I was was in charge of Perverted by Language and sorting out the tracks, I think this would have to be the first track on the album, because it's a perfect album opener in my brain. You know, it's really hard hitting, it's great and catchy, and it's just going to suck you right in. And then you can, you know, maybe navigate the hurdles of Eat Yourself Fitter, with a little less trouble. I love the uh, image of pasty teen- teenaged Mark in his bedroom on a Saturday bopping to rumble. I like the lyric, there's a clack that makes use of Lancastrian patronization of blacks, their rep, Jim Davidson. And as was said, the love of Paris <laughs> infects the civil service. I've got no as a Lancastrian myself. I've got no idea what the Lancastrian patronization of blacks is, and how Jim Davidson comes into it. Because if I ever saw Jim Davidson trogging the streets of Lancaster, I would surely throw whatever I had in my pockets at his head. But there we are. It's still great.
0: Maybe a CD of Iggy Pop's late eighties output. <laughs> Take his eye out. The irony for you. But um, he also says something similar in the English scheme where he says uh, condescends the black man. And uh, he's definitely got something that he means by that line. The man whose head knew about Politburo facade behind Kicker, who stole Cafe's collection box, who applied cut-up technique literally to himself, who wore red scarf to remind him of fiancé, and visitor esoteric Jackanapes, says analyzer. <laughs> Pretty much described to I think, doesn't he? <laughs> Sounds like Mark That's Smith. That's what
1: we can all agree with.
0: <laughs> and there's a there's a lad on the um annotated fall that basically describes somebody stealing a cafe collection box in Presswich and says that, that he thinks it's the same one from the from some point in the in the 80s. Um he actually named names, he says who did it, but I won't uh, I won't name it shame. Don't do that but I ate that eternal guitar, yeah. We had a chat, and I have a real soft spot for spoiled Victorian Child, and so not that I was putting down their of Infinity, but um, I was just making a case for that other song, but I do love this one too. Don't get me wrong, Philip, but I'm glad I un- unsettled you and-, and sent you back just to get your ears right. Let's move on to Spoiled Victorian Child, This Nation's Saving Grace.
4: Just a child.
0: Looking very windswept and indie in that picture on the uh, YouTube video there. Tell us what we need to know about SVC.
1: Well, it's, it's a great riff, isn't it? It's, it's one of the brilliant fall riffs. Even more so because it's in that slightly off-kilter time signature, which kind of keeps you guessing a little bit in terms of where it's going. There's something about this image, this Victorian image of this spoiled child that seems to fit really snugly with the fall. I remember ages ago when you were on about that daily telephone of the lobster being sat on the telephone and about how beautifully that fits together, these two incongruous items. It feels a bit like that to me, like these two incongruous images of this working-class mank band um, singing about a upper-class Victorian Lord Fondelroy, um I, I think it's a really curious fit, but it works really well. And I, I really like what Mark does with the lyrics as well, in terms of the, the cut-up thing of mashing the lyrics around. I can't think of any other singer-songwriter who would do something like that, really, in terms of the words. I think it's very playful. I really, really like this tune a lot, and I, I, I love the wistful ending to it, which always takes me by surprise reminds me of something like Magical Mystery Tour by the Beatles that sort of drifts off at the end into its own little world and I, I quite like the magical outro to it all so yeah it's a beautiful tune.
0: Yeah really nice
1: breakdown.
0: Ezra what does this one do for you?
1: It's,
2: it's a grand enigma. Yeah it, it's interesting uh, again what Phil was saying about the fall in Victoriana. I, I suppose they're both as English as a builder's crack aren't they? Yeah it, it's it's such an interesting bizarre number it's got that great kind of psychedelic break in the middle it's got this real kind of like foreboding haunted energy you know it's like finding a doll's house in a box in a dusty corner of the attic you know there's just some very sinister kind of haunted vibes coming off it and i was trying to get my head around the lyrics i like the closing part where he says um i know that the servants keep their order knowledge And as you walk in on the footsteps of Steed, babe, into the encrusted green unwild, you know that you are an SVC. And it just all feels so potent, but you don't know where the potency is coming from. So I was trying to think about it. I was like, well, is this the childhood reflections of a tramp avoiding reflection while mirrors can't hide toxic disfigured poxes? Um, Is it because an encyclopedia would contain all of the knowledge of the kind of Enlightenment period, which I guess overlaps with the reign of Victoria, knowledge and names that unwild the natural? Was it the Victorian era that spoilt the children? I don't know, but those are some of the thoughts I had.
0: Left with more questions than answers, I call great art. Alistair, there's this one. Does it tickle your fancies?
5: Well, it certainly does, yeah. I do you like it. It's, it's a good al- album that it comes from. Uh, it's got a bit of a, a rockabilly groove to it. The uh, spoilt Victorian bit, which reminded me a bit of a mashup of, uh of uh, Victorian Dad and uh, Spoilt Bastard from Viz. I said that yesterday to Phil. Oh, yeah. I a chat with him and I said the exact same thing. Um, but yeah, the, the nice little, you know, Shaking Stevens-type rockabilly uh, uh, groove in there. Um yeah, you know, the, the the delivery, the lyrics is quite good as well. It's it's mostly you know timed to the rhythm of the song. Like, but there's bits where it's just like spitting them out like at high velocity, like it's uh, you know firing off a machine gun. Um, but yeah, I really like the song and it's uh, it's very entertaining, quite playful. Yeah, it's very playful.
0: It's it's almost borderline silly comedy, but he doesn't quite take that step. It's still got that kind of. He's still trying to say something serious, Mary and I always thought it was about him having to go at students. I thought, thought it was about him saying you basically look at you all, yeah you gits with your
5: with your degrees. Absolutely under your, under your blankets. And you know, with uh, you know coming from privilege.
0: could be having a go there as well. <laughs> I think he's definitely got a specific modern person in mind that he's that he's like treating like a spoiled Victorian child. And that's why that spoiled bastard from Viz jumped out to me because that's what I imagine. That's that's exactly what I imagine, that kind of spoiled brat. Probably me. He, he says that he wanted something really daft in English and he wanted a harmonium on it. So he went to Simon Rogers, who was uh, sobbing for Hanley at the time because Simon Rogers played bass on This Nation's Saving Grace and he's... Um, classically trained panpipe musician and uh, he came up with this <laughs> came up with this fantastic riff which is one of my favorites but it is um <laughs> up against a very difficult uh, challenge here let's take it 10 years on you're looking back then from under gruff blankets thread loose stained gray blankets Musical chairs, rouge cheeks, he remembers through the aqueduct of five years, SVC shall avoid reflection. Beautiful. Let's uh, go to Tim3 for his numbers first, and then we'll see how this pans out. Where's he going?
1: He has put his shoulder behind, uh, Neighbourhood Wins.
0: Oh la la. Alistair?
2: Neighbourhood. Ezra? I'm very fond of both these songs, but the mystery always wins my heart.
0: Okay, so this is that by Victorian child.
2: I don't know what you think. I'll split your, <laughs> I'll split your vote. No, it's but for it. Victorian Child for Christ's sake.
0: I thought I thought as much. It's always good to chat with the mystery, though. Um, Phil Rigby.
1: Well, you've almost swung me with classically trained pump pipe. It's something to aspire to on my CV, but uh, it's got to be Neighborhood
0: of Infinity. Great. I'm going with Spoke Victorian Child. The um, splodgeness abounds, but um, it is Neighborhood of Infinity going through. And that brings us to our next two Big New Priest or Big New Big Prince versus ROD. Give us a blast of the Big Priest. Yeah. I'm gonna come to Ezra first. Big New Big Priest. Isn't it Big New Prince? It's got multiple titles, including Big New Prince and New Big Priest, whatever it takes you fancy.
2: Yeah, well, you know, the song is fantastic. Um, It's interesting because recently we've been having lots of stray cats coming to uh, the patio and demanding food. So I adapted a lot of the songs on the playlist for the cats and was singing them to the cats. So we had Spoilt Victorian Cat and um, Very Hungry Lizard, which was adapted from this one. And it went something like, he's a lizard, he's a lizard, he's a very hungry lizard. He is not well fed. He's a lizard. Um, and, yeah, that's all I have to say.
0: How did the um, did the cats continue to come back after that performance? Or did they... Uh... To let their feet do the talking.
2: Oh, they were very alarmed. I could see it in their eyes, but they still come back. They do.
0: Free fruit's free fruit free, free at the end of the day, isn't mm. it? Mm. I just think there's the thing that Bob March was talking about. Um, they were every time him and Vic went past Little Woods, Vic would call it Big Woods. And um, and that tickled him. And for some reason, whenever Mark Smith sings big priest instead of hip priest, it tickles me and makes me <laughs> makes me laugh. Um and the idea that, and again, I was saying this. I don't know if I made this up. I read it somewhere, but that he was taking the piss out of people that would sing the wrong fall lyrics to him, and so he, <laughs> so he rewrote "Hip Priest" to be the stupidest version of "Big New Priest." Check the guy's rock record, but it's 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 beautiful, and it's a cover of their own song and that performance were they're on tony wilson's show where they're all wearing shiny shirts and um, it's like um they're like a cabaret band but they're playing this dirgy madness is absolutely beautiful um big priest sounds a bit like the theme tune to the sweeney at points as well which you can't uh can't go wrong with that alistair
5: yeah it's it's great isn't it i it's a monotonous riff, just bludgeoning to death, just going for it. Um pretty much the same thing all the way through. Normally hate that kind of stuff, but in this circumstance it really works. The Grenada footage was was great. It's it's so sort of like look, just cheesy smiles, it just look dead cheesy, but they're coming out with some like real hard ass stuff, like but uh, yeah, it's a it's like mission statement one in it where he's uh, complaining about being so hard done to. So. But, yeah, I think Pixies covered this one as well, do not they?
0: I think so, because um, I think Simon Ding, Simon Archer, who was involved at one point, went on to be in the Pixies. And he, the same lad who was in Polly Harvey's band, who that's when she did that cover. I think he's he's been in the Pixies. Uh, and Mark Smith talks about it when he does that interview with John Doran. And they have a bit of a chat about... Um, going go into the, the Pixies and it uh, says, oh, that lad from the Pixies slept on that couch. Don't touch it. It's something like that. Starts taking the face out of them. But um, yeah, great, great song. Great band. Phil Rigby.
1: So I was, <coughs> when, when this came up in the playlist, I was taken back to the first time that I heard it and I just did not get it because I knew Hit Priest and I love that song. I think it's amazing. And I, I didn't understand why they were covering the <laughs> Roland song in so, what struck me as a bit of a silly way the first time I heard it and I just did not get it at all until I saw them live at the beer keller in Manchester and it was it's one of the last songs I think that they did in the set and I was drunkenly slurring the lyrics back at Mark pointing in the air shouting he is not appreciated which is an irony is it to have a room full of people pointing at him to shout show to him, which he's not appreciated and uh I totally got the song then and it was like this is brilliant this is absolutely brilliant and it almost becomes like a theatrical piece in the in the live show it was a it was a it was a Stanford wasn't it in the way that hit Priest never was in the in the set and I I think that's that's amazing I can't think of another band that does that it covers their own material and then makes it even more impressive than the original um so I I I thought that was great yeah there's I was tempted to get into the guitar playing technique that he's using as well, because it's a bit of a Wes Montgomery style where he's using strummed octaves on the guitar, which is which is a jazz technique, really. Yeah. There's lots of air uh, muting going on with the strings and stuff. Um, so it is simple in terms of the the progression that's being played but the actual technique for playing it is is a is a fairly um uh not necessarily advanced but not it's it's certainly not a, a punk style of playing or anything like that so that's it's which is quite interesting um yeah and that thumping bass line that goes all the way through it until the last two beats the 16 bar the 16 beat bar it's It's phenomenal. It's great, and it does. Al's totally right. It carries the song all the way through. It never gets boring. It never gets. It never loses the the potency of the of the start of the song. It just it just increases all the way through. So yeah, it's it's a glorious one. This
0: and and somehow it it doesn't take away from Hit Priest as well. You can still listen to Hit Priest, and Hit Priest is an, an unbelievable song. And then there's this kind of like cheesy, almost glam rock version of it, which is also an amazing song. Um just fantastic. mind a bit of um Nick Cave did the um, I'm not a huge fan of Nick Cave, but he's a, the song The Mercy Seat and the, the you know the early version is a really scratchy punky version and then he does a beautiful piano version. And um you know bands that can take their own songs and and, and do something like that to it. It's pretty rare. But to,
1: the, the Pixies did it as well, didn't they? Is it Nimrod's song where when you see them playing it live I've um, seen them live a couple of times and they slow it right down and they do it as a really slow song instead of a fast song. Nice,
0: yeah. it's a good one. Ezra, what do you make to uh, The Big Prince? Now you started, didn't you? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs>
2: um, not I've even asked. halfway.
0: We're not even halfway. I'm <laughs> Uh, Well, that really wraps up all of our opinions on big new hit prints. What about the next one? ROD, aka Realm of Dusk, from these new chart toppers, The Falls. Always been a mystery for me. It's weird. I I can never remember anything about it or any other songs on it. But every time I listen to it, I really like it. I love Bournemouth running. I I really like this one. Um, Realm of Dusk, S, aka the gloaming or Terra Twilight. That um, that drum that just just does that rolls through the entire verse. I'm sure Alistair knows the correct term for what's going on there. Uh, He's hitting them. He's hitting him.
3: And he's hitting them drums out
0: all the way through the verse. And it's uh, it really works. It sets up. And then of course it breaks into that slower, more expansive thing. And uh really reminded me unusually of something like Echo the Bunnymen, something like an eight his kind of style, almost getting into U2, you kind of sweeping majestic kind of chords, even Radiohead Ben's era stuff. Um and almost like saying, oh, yeah, we could do this stuff as well if we wanted to, but we'll just do it once on this one song and then never again. And um, it actually works pretty well. I re- I like it. Um, the lyrics are really um, intriguing. Couldn't get, obviously, the idea of Dusk falling, mm-hmm. both metaphorically and, uh, and literally something to do with the end of eras or... Um, a war or a hunting or something, it's approaching 600 pounds gas and flesh rotten tainted, lips and tongue abhorrent flickering lexicon, or stray dog pack leader, could be talking about you there Phil Rigby, couldn't he, hide, a dive hide, reasonable people in silence do exult, realm of dusk, look at the north ones, their brains are unhinged by the sun, um, beautiful lyrics um, very poetic and um, yeah took me a little while to get into it but um, yeah excellent song one thing I was going to say about that that the flickering lexicon is also the name of the lad Danny who, who I guess is involved in the the annotated fall, he has that concordance where all the fall lyrics are in alphabetical order, which is mad mad, and magical. But um, if you ever want to see how many times Mark Smith says the word house or arse in the fall songs, uh, the flickering lexicon is the place to go. Alistair, what are you up for in terms of R-O-D? a uh,
5: kind of groovy song, so nice sort of tape, splicey add-ons with uh, noisy crap in it at the end. Uh, it was quite enjoyable um, reminded me a bit of the monks for some strange reason at the beginning um, like you, you did mention the toms yeah, it, I, I kind of reminds me a bit of like Stephen Morris's playing style because um, he was like I was very busy with a you know like in general like uh, Behind the kit, whether or not it's Tom's or just like it in 16s. But I think if it had been Morris behind the kit on this one, uh, instead of going into the nice surfy groove, you'd, you'd have carried on like with 16s on hi hats or something. D- doing the, the melodic and Discord thing kind of works well as well. Um, but I did think Rick's guitar got a little bit boring after a bit. It's, it's
0: twangy and surfy, which doesn't, I'm not sure if it quite works, although I do like it, adds a nice tone to it. Phil Rigby, what do you reckon?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting, you're, you're both talking about the drums because this is Simon Wollstonecraft's first album, isn't it? So it's his debut with the Fall. tracks. This is the first track on the album. And, and I thought that the main things I took away from that were it's, it's like there's a slightly different timbre in the playing, It's it feels more. Um, Professional, although I, I, we we use that as a bit of a pejorative, don't we, in this podcast? But it's, I, don't, I don't really mean it like that. I just mean it as more in. It feels more um, session. The the actual proficiency of the drums. It's a bit less ragged around the edges. The tone and the production on it seems to be a little bit more professional. It's very well behaved. I imagine him doing exactly what Smithy told him to do. Um, but very very competent play. It's it sounds good all the way through. Ezra said something right at the start. He was talking about the Stooges and that, and about um, influences, which reminded me of a Norm MacDonald uh, line where he talks about if you want to lampoon something, you've got to love it. You can't you can't do satire about something that you don't love because um, you don't get it unless you love it. And it's and I think that's that's true of everything that the Fall does in terms of different genres and deconstructing them. These are things, these are music styles they love listening to. And they know the ins and outs of them, and when they go and try and do something themselves with it, it's it's done from a place of affection, and they know exactly what good sounds like with those things. So it's, I think that's um I think that's true very much with this record, as they go from that tribal tom drumming to that almost mercy beat at times, but it is like a surfy guitar kind of feel to it. All isn't it what they're doing? Um, and the other thing was the lyrics. I actually love the lyrics in this record. It's like it's less Lovecraft and more Robert E. Howard, isn't it? It's more like something like Pigeons from Hell, where it's. I always think with Lovecraft, he writes good weird stories, but they're not really scary. There's not there's not really much tension in them. But Robert E. Howard stuff, there is. That weird Western stuff. They are actually horror stories that he writes, and this feels a bit more like that. So it's uh, it's the weird. It's genre bending. It's uh, it's really really good, competent playing. I, I take Al's point about the guitar getting a little bit monotonous towards the end, but I quite like that. I, I, I quite like the whole style of it all and the aesthetic. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. Sweet, sweet Ezra.
0: Does this one do for you?
2: Well, it's uh, like maybe. <clears throat> like Spoke victorian child it's another crepuscular one it's so twilight it's got some really strange jarring kind of transitions it's got the kind of intangible emotional hit and yeah it, it's such a strange song and also quite psychedelic i thought like um i got the kind of sense that it could be a political thing lyrically speaking like it it, it seems to be and maybe, you know, this is just me speaking within my own particular context here, but, like, uh, when the political discourse is withering on the vine from insanity, like, uh, people stay at home and fucking keep stum, <laughs> And the only refuge is sounds. It, it, it feels so abandoned. It's quite lovely.
0: Yeah. As crazy
2: you talked about it being
1: psychedelic, because I wrote that down as well. The actual line I wrote down is, um, it's so... It's so comfortable that you seem to glide from a false song into a Johnny Cash territory, but somehow brash and psychedelic. It's weird how it's got that edge
0: to it. Yeah, darkly psychedelic, darkly... And and and, and Leckie was producing it as well, right? It's one that rewards uh, careful and repeated listening. And that's why this one's so hard for me, this choice, because do you have the big brash glam rock stomp of uh, Prince or... This kind of this one that you think, you know, as, if it goes further in the competition, there'll be much more to unpack with it, and it is a bit of an outlier. But what does Tim, what's which way's Tim gone with his numbers?
1: So you scrolled and catch up on this piece of paper. Rod wins. How about you, uh, Al? Big new prince. Hello, Philip. I'm completely torn. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to do. Uh, I'm going to have to do an Ezra and
2: say it's a draw
0: for me. Okie dokie, Ezra.
2: Yeah, uh, it, it, it's one of the tougher ones, isn't it? Um, I got to go with the big new prince in the end.
0: Oh, la la! I'm going with Rod, which means that either Phil Rigby decides and falls on either side, or we go to the numbers. It's
1: going to have to be numbers. I can't decide between the two. Too close oh, to call. Mm-hmm.
0: So you can vote up to three points for each song. Let's go with um, Big New Prince first. Out of three, three, six, nine, ten, eleven. Have you got three up there, Phil, or two? Three. That's, that's twelve. <laughs> twelve out of twelve. Did Tim give any
1: points? No, he just said Rod wins, so I'm assuming he's giving it three.
0: All right, so he's at least given more points to Rod than Prince. So how many points is Rod getting?
2: Are oh, we like to do um, decimals? Sure. Two point seven
0: five exactly, which means that Big New Prince goes through just squeezed through. Moving on, we have Young Nev's antidote off the Marshall Suite, nineteen ninety nine. Give us a bit of that those big Bonham-esque drums. is this the kind of thing you
5: dig? Not well, man did it all, yeah. It does got that very Bonham-esque, uh, Black Dog-esque kind of uh, feel to it, hasn't it? With a kind of cashmere-type uh, guitar on there with the, the progression. Uh, it's got the old like, rock rap vibe going on, kind of like Beastie Boys rhyming and stealing. There's some serious pissing around going on with the production stuff but I really do like the production on it Uh, I think it is well produced it'd be a funny one if you played this to somebody who'd never heard the fall before because they they might get completely the wrong impression and uh, be extremely disappointed if the second song you played them was WMC Blob but yeah I liked it
0: it is another I know we say this like several times every week but it's another outlier there's nothing else quite like it in the uh, catalogue Phil, what do you think of this one?
1: Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise one for me there. So I wasn't really familiar with it in the part. Which, which album is it? Off. It's a Marshall Suite. And there's another oh,
0: version yeah. of it that sounds called Antidotes. It's really different. This is mm. the young Nev. I think the Nev refers to the Neville Wilding was the guitarist who just joined at that time. So I think that's yeah. the part.
1: It's, it, it, it's got a lot of things I like. It's got the, the big Chemical Brothers beat thing going on with it. I, I think heavy guitars and electric, like this is dangerous territory for, especially for guitarists, to, to come out and scare with something like this. It reminded me of a conversation I had with my daughter a few weeks ago where she was telling me about abstract painting, where she leant in to me and said, the secret is not to make brown. <laughs> she was mixing different colours onto the, onto the page. And I, I think they successfully don't make Brown in this. I think it's, uh, I think everything comes through shining.
0: You're very right there, Phil. It's a very dangerous territory. The big beat with the guitars and he kind of, he's not Jimmy Page, but he comes out kind of unscathed in it. And I think uh, it all fits together really nicely. And it could have been horrific. Talk about rhyming and stealing this week. They sampled the, uh, Led Zeppelin on on their first album, The Beastie Boys. And um uh, yeah, I love his um, his lyrics. Again, the wacky sports teacher, big fat bullies in class, he tolerates their dads on teams. It's a carry-on, sir, country where the chewer is pursued. Um, just nonsense. I mean, you can't really hear it, so this is a sterling work from the people over at the annotated fall, if those are actually correct, but um, lots of fun. And that mazy Dots and dozy dotes and little Lambsy eat ivy, I think maybe that's what he's referring to, and which reminds me of the dad in Twin Peaks started singing after he murdered all those people. Ezra, do you like this one?
2: Yeah, it's a real jolly, jolly track, you know. Um, I had faith all along. I, I I, think that if they wanted to make Brown, they would have made Brown, but here they knew that it was definitely not a Brown song. And yeah, I, I found it really, really <laughs> hilarious. Um, Oh, yeah, here we go. So, as you were saying about the big fat, um, the wacky sports teacher and the big fat bullies, and I just love the way chewing gum is chewed, the chewer is pursued. If liberty is screwed, the sports teacher include. Because absolutely, you should fucking include the sports teachers. Um, It's a very, very funny song.
0: Very Kez-esque, Casper. But it's up against... Kick the can. They've done it again. Number one. Yeah, number one.
4: (laughs) enough for that, isn't
0: it? It's Britpop. Done well. Oh, my God. It's only the fall doing shit, Britpop. Sounds like fucking Oasis Seaside or whatever. Garbage. Shall we even bother? Moving on. What's this... Phil Rigby, what do you make of this song? Why would you put a loudspeaker on top of your car and driver in your estate blasting this out? Top volume.
1: What? you have when I was just wearing my vest in my gold chair? Guns out Sun's out, innit? Mm. What a piece of shit this is. <laughs> it's, it's got music it's got nothing going for it whatsoever this was the this was the track that I had to put my thinking cap on in terms of something interesting to say about it and the, where I got to with it was uh, I think this is probably as close as the fall get to an anti-war song isn't it um, it's not quite anti-war I think it's a bit too ambivalent for that the lyrics a bit fatalistic but um, but musically yeah proper turd of a track
0: by anti-war, you're, you're referring to you got to kick the can or descend in some foreign land. It's uh, giving him a lot of credit that that's, what, that that's the picture yeah. he's trying to paint with those um, with those <laughs> lyrics. But yeah, I just like... And then he goes into a half-decent rockabilly kind of thing that with some decent production and better lyrics, it was, something might have happened. But, um, oh, <laughs> good Lord, good Lord. I really wish Tim Three wasn't down in hell because I wanted to get his take on this.
5: Uh, <laughs> this, got this
0: <laughs> Ezra, what do you make of uh, Kick the Can?
2: Yeah, I felt it definitely picked up in the uh, the second half where it gets into the kind of rockabilly groove. And I kind of enjoyed that, you know. Um, I enjoyed his just ridiculous deadpan uh, delivery as well. You, know? you better kick the can or upsell to a foreign land. Kick the can. Um, yeah, it's... It's fairly funny. You know, I I don't think I hated it as much as you guys seem to. really enjoyed the, um, you are landing on a supporter of a swear word, wholly entrenched.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was fun to be had.
0: Indeed. Alistair, what's this one do for you?
5: Not a great deal. I thought the beginning was particularly boring. Then it picked up a bit, you know, instead of getting into the nice sort of like rocket, well, the little grooves that they get into. We've heard it with a right shitty-ass, sort of like full-on in-the-red kind of production on it, but like Guitar Wolf or something. Uh, but, you know, I can always go and record it onto cassettes and stick it in the red myself, kind of. That's,
0: um, when you're, when they <laughs> were scratching around, the only thing that could have made this decent is if someone put layers and layers of distortion on top of it. Well, we know that improves everything, so, you know, it does indeed. But now we'll take a vote. Young Nev versus Kick the Can. Phil Rigby?
1: Yeah, Young Nev, unsurprisingly.
0: Fair enough. Ezra?
1: Yeah, the antidotes.
0: Aye, Alistair? Uh, young Nev. Same for me. What about Tim? Young Nev. Fair enough. Young Nev easily through. And the final uh, lineup of the evening is White Line Fever, the uh, Merle Haggard cover of post-TLC 2007. Phil's favorite record
1: of all time. I thought, I forgot it came in the first quarter.
0: Listen to that banter. Enough. what number is this this is number seven so that means ezra's going first ezra what about this this brand spanking cover with his brand spanking new 2007 american band
2: well this is you know this is really quite something isn't it I think that there's a strong possibility this could have this could be the weakest track for me personally I've heard yet, and I'm including um, the Blue Christmas cover version in that, which I thought was legitimately good. Um, but this from the like kind of incredibly pathetic kind of like before and after song banter to the song itself is just you 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 know I I can almost kind of imagine that he knew exactly what he was doing. And he was like, yeah, we're just going to put this on as some kind of like meta fucking skit on the fucking whole shitness of the whole music industry and criticism, (laughs) (laughs) because in this stage in our career, it's exactly the kind of thing that any shit band would do. And that they just did it and it's just full on acting all the way through. But I'm not sure I can sell myself on that. I think that could be getting a bit QAnon, maybe. I don't know. What do you think?
0: I think we're giving Mark Smith a hell of a lot of a lot of, a lot of credit this evening for multiple things, which I at this point don't think he deserves. I think the um the only thing I can say for this is that. The fact that his backing vocalists are very good, technically, and he's very bad, means that whenever they sing together, there's this amazingly atonal kind of mashup of of, uh, sounds. Other than that, very poor. This has been covered by many, many people, and a troll on YouTube will will show you that this is... (laughs) The only thing that's charming about this is it's Marky Smith doing karaoke, and I will listen to Marky Smith sing anything at any time, basically. And also, if if I think insult song, like it suggests from the banter in that, that that followed straight on from this song. So if any, if nothing else, insult song coming as a, a second part to White Line Fever, I'll take that. I'll take that any day. That trade off. Alistair, what to, what do you make to this blended colour?
5: It sounded like a kind of a, a wedding band or something like that. Um... You know, bands like 68 Comeback did this sort of stuff, um, considerably better, a lot more lo-fi, a lot more rocking. Um, Didn't really like the the backing vocals, as you mentioned before, far too clean. Um, If they'd had something that sounded half as demented as Smith's vocals, that might have really helped it along a bit, but... Didn't really do a great deal for me, I'm afraid, Brandon.
0: Oh, no, I get you. For a song that's called White Line Fever that is ostensibly about losing your mind, it's very tame. But maybe that's what he was going for. Maybe he was telling us that it's the tameness within the
5: song. Maybe he was. And we're just not listening hard enough. We're just not.
0: We're not doing our part as
5: the audience. we're not. Pull our socks up collectively.
0: (laughs) Who wrote I can't remember last year. I'm guessing not.
5: No, not yet. But
1: it's, uh, I tell you, the, the, the main thing I got from this song was the fact that I was in danger of actually starting to like this album with uh, After Insult song and Das boots or Das Boat, I can't remember what it's called. But this did solidly remind me about just how shit this album really is <laughs> and how much I detest it. And I ended up just writing shit song from a shit album on the on my notes, so uh, I, I don't really think it's got much going for it. Although I I think Owl's on the money there. It's 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 it feels like one of those afternoon sing along sessions in a dodgy drinker, doesn't it? Where the, the there's a band that's turned up and there's some country and western being played, and uh, everyone's just slightly drunk.
0: Yeah, we did. Um... Have you ever seen The Rain by Credence Clearwater a bit ago in a very similar fashion? And I'm sure it was a whole lot of rollicking fun uh, for everyone involved, but not something that I would press up onto vinyl and sell, pork around record shops. But I think so far it's been the covers on the TLC that's let it down. So I think we, what was the one that rips off that United States of America song? Um, There was that, and then there's this. But the other two, like you said, As Boot and um, Insult Song, maybe. Maybe there's hope for it yet. Let's uh, have a blast of Recovery Kit. Not a lot for this song to do, to make it through. Yeah, nice, nice, nice. Love those drums, very funky shifting patterns, and a lot of really interesting stuff going on. And the and the bass is kind of syncopated with it. And then these Gary Newman style uh synths come in with these filter sweeps. And I have a real soft spot for. It. Gary Newman and um love his uh, I love the sense he uses yeah very nice and that kind of feedback swells and and Smith doing that kind of that sing style that he seemed to just start on that album that he does on Janet and Johnny and he does it on a couple of others and um that really kind of soft mellow uh vibe it's a really interesting beautiful song how can you curve your hands for a kiss is a beautiful lyric <laughs> Philip, um, what do you make to this?
1: Yeah, it's, we're, we're, the territory is sort of like depression more Underworld, isn't it? It's kind of going more into this dancey soundtracks for him to croon over. And I, I had a bit of a similar listening experience as I did with Realm of the Dust, where it was... It, the music was functional, but not particularly inspired. And then as soon as it married up with the words and I, I, I gave a bit more time to the lyrics, it just added this whole new dimension to it. I was really impressed with the lyrics in this. I was I, I was quite captivated with it. It, it felt very... Modernist and, and poetic in the way that it's like touch. It's a bit ambiguous. You you feel like he's got something very clearly in mind, but you've got to decode it out of out of the words to what he's actually talking about. Um, and I, I, I found myself listening to this one quite a few times. I, you surprised me there a bit about the Gary Newman stuff. I didn't put you down as a Gary Newman fan, but I, I totally dug with the synth sounds and this. I thought it was beautiful. I think Joy Division was more of the reference for me, maybe. Um, on that. um, Yeah, I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. The other thing that made me think about it was a bit more kind of um, Smithy at any point could have been a solo act. Couldn't he? He could have just ditched the fall brand and just because essentially it is him and everything all that's around him. But he, he always kept the band's name, it was always the fall as the project. And uh, that's that's kind of where my, my, my head went as I was. Listening and analysing this, and thinking about that in terms of um the, his career as an artist and why he wanted to be in a group rather than it just being about him as an individual. But um, but yeah, this song I I, I really fell in love with it after a few listens and and giving the words a chance and and thinking about it. Yeah, it's good.
0: No, that point of being solo versus being in a group, and he always called that a group, right? I think it's um. It is the difference between you just being that lone wolf and getting out there with yourself and, and working with other people. And it just didn't seem like that appealed to me. Like to have that kind of like gang mentality and, and and that social side of things was what kept things driving even. in, And, and we've seen it like if he'd have been on his own, who knew, knows what would have happened. But there was always somebody in the group. Who came through at the right time I was listening to. Him. But that interview that Ed Blenny does with him on with the with Hanley brothers, he's basically talking about he was looking out for Mark a lot and he would phone him up and be like, you know, you need to cut back on the whiskey mate. And, 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 and the way he was so like for a period, he was that person. And I think Smith probably knew that. And um it was it was probably the right decision. Sweet track though. Sweet, sweet track. Alistair, what about this one for you?
5: it was okay, you know. Um, it didn't really grab me too much. Um, you know, there's some nice beats in there and, you know, the the, the lyrics are very good, yeah. Uh, but, it's, again, the same riff kind of being flogged to death a little bit that um, kind of wore me down. Um, the first few seconds with all the feedback and the noise got me kind of, got my hopes up and uh, I think uh, I was just a little disappointed after that. Fair
0: enough, fair enough. Ezra, what did this one do for you?
5: Well, yeah, you know, the kind of um,
2: cosmo-industrial intro belies the kind of... And then, you know, the following kind of um, kraut-hop rhythm that's going on in the back um, and the bass line kind of belies the deeply kind of melancholic tone of the song. Um, And, yeah, you know, I actually found it really, really uh, interesting and fun. Like, uh, as you were saying, the... uh, how can you curve your hands for a kiss? How can you leave your moneyed soul? How can you leave your new minted land? Oh, father, oh, father. <laughs> and I, I love the way that he goes into the numbers, like complete recovery kit, four parts of it. It's always free. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, th- I thought it was kind of moving and with a really nice kind of like bouncing baseline to carry it home.
0: Yeah, I really like this album and I think what he does and Sean Ryder does that kind of soft sing song vocal as well at times and it really works when when used and I think on this it's all over this album. It's sweet. Let's take a vote then. I am going unsurprisingly with recovery kit, Ezra. Oh yes. Yes, yes. No mystery there. Phil Rigby.
5: Well I'm feeling.
0: Yes, of course.
5: <laughs> I guess as much. Well, then, just for a laugh, let's fuck it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we can rely on Tim Three. There's no way he has given any He's probably that even he refused to acknowledge that white line fever exists.
1: <laughs> Recovery kit
0: wins. He does indeed. Okay. Let's uh, have a look. At best song of the evening then. What do you reckon? Al watch your what? watch. your favorite out of these eight?
5: a laugh in the of infinity. Sweet.
0: Nice, nice. I was really surprised when I was talking to Phil yesterday, like how much he liked it, because I said it, it, it kind of I, I kinda liked it, but I didn't think it had put up too much of a fight against um sport Victorian child. But I went back after our conversation also, Phil, and I was like, Yes, actually, yes, it's got no chance. <laughs> 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 how how I eat that humble pie right now. Once more. Ezra, what's your, what's your favorite track of the evening?
2: It's a tough one. It's a, it, it's a tough one. Um I'll say Rod just for its complete unintangibility.
0: Yeah. Phil, what about you?
2: Well, the obvious
1: one is like like Ali's neighborhood an in infinity for me. Um, but I was I was thinking that Rod is probably the one that I grew to enjoy the most of uh, listening to it, especially with the words. I, I love that old Robert E. Howard kind of vibe that, that he gets going in it. But that that last one, Recovery Kit, all those, this, the, the lyrical hints about heritage and inheritance and things like that, I, I thought it was such a weird topic matter for lyrics. I, I think that's probably my favourite of the evening. Nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Has there been a bit of a mix between the biggies like Spoiler Victorian Child and Big New Prince? For me, the big brash ones. Um, which I do love. And then those ones that have snuck in, like Rod and Recovery Kit. I think I'm going to go with Rod. Uh, did it go out? I <laughs> can't remember. So when Neighborhood of Infinity went through and that young Nev's antidote and recovery kit, but I can't remember whether Rod <laughs> or, or Priest went through. Oh, I Priest it again. I'll have to listen back, won't I? All right, next week, Al, are you up for doing a Futures and Past? Are you still having to think about that one?
5: I'll tell you what, I might go controversial on this one. and Because um, the, the, the fall covered um, I'm a Mummy. I might do Research Guide to Incredibly Strange Music volume 2, which I'm pretty sure Smith will have heard that song from. Nice. Uh, because it wasn't you know, something that was widely available on vinyl. Excellent.
0: Sounds good. So... Um, we'll look oh, forward sorry, to sorry,
5: that sorry about me liking novelty music
0: good, good. all good um, alright chaps have a good one thanks as oh. always we have only two episodes left of this season goes by quick doesn't it um, I'll see you all <laughs> in 24